And good morning. I know I haven't met some of you, so I want to say hello. My name is Aaron. Uh, sometimes people call me Father Aaron. Other times people call me Pastor Aaron. You can call me Aaron if you want to. Uh, we are uh, beginning a new sermon series. I'm really glad that you're here for it. It's called uh, More Than Sex, Becoming Spiritual Mothers and Fathers. Uh, and what the series is about, it's really it's an invitation to maturity as men and women. Uh, it's going to provide a roadmap for discipleship that's unique to our genders, as well as wisdom for our sexuality and sexual practice, and really a kind of a gospel vision for singleness and marriage and the family of God, what that looks like in the church. I want, to know, want you to know that everyone's welcome to this series, and you may not disagree with uh, all that's taught. I want you to know that you're loved, that you're welcome here. And uh, so thank you for coming. This week I was reading about the history of Aleppo, Syria. According to the LA Times, Aleppo has been hailed as one of the most beautiful cities in the world and has been so for millennia. Journalist uh, Nabi Bulas called uh, Aleppo the jewel and the crown of empires, a place that drew poets and polymaths, industrialists and artisans. It was a major terminus on the Silk Road, and once viewed as second only to Constantinople in prominence. Uh, Aleppo was known for the brightness of its august buildings, some of which stood for millennia. The august, they sort of seemed to shine. They were made of marble, but the marble kind of seemed to shine just naturally. And so Aleppo was known as Aleppo the White. Um, Aleppo citizens remember the city's kind of special touches, like the perfume market that they would go through in the middle of the day, or uh, the cafe that had the special pepper-flavored fish for lunch. Um, for thousands of years, really, Aleppo was filled with children playing, playing soccer, vendors selling delicious food, and music playing well into the night. And then from 2012 to 2016, this beautiful city became a battlefield. The Syrian war uh, made Aleppo its center and fought right there on its streets. Airstrikes turned the shining marble structures into an ashen heap. Tanks rolled in and shelled out all the cafes and vendors. The steel-toed boot of war trampled the flower of Aleppo. And the beautiful became a battlefield. Could it be that the beautiful reality of being human has also become a battlefield? Consider the most personal and sacred realities of our life together. Love, sexuality, marriage and family, our genders, life in the body from womb to old age, these precious and tender and personal and sacred realities. In all these ways and more, the beautiful has become a battlefield for what it means to be human. Let's consider the relationship between men and women. When they honor and respect one another, it's beautiful and admirable. When they're drawn together in a healthy romance, it's, it's exciting. When they're bound together in a marriage covenant, it's, it's incredible, it's life-giving and rich. Yet that beautiful space between men and women has become a battlefield, has it not? Consider all the divorce. 
in the last generation and the pain coming from those divorces. Consider all the abuse in the home, all the domestic abuse in the home. Not to mention the harassment in the workplace that the Me Too movement has uncovered. Consider how the sex industry acts as a parasite on this male-female relationship and in the process earns, a, earns over $6 billion a year, which is more than most professional sports industries earn. What about the relationship between parents and children? This beautiful relationship between parents and children, beginning with the conception of new life and ending with the grown child helping their parents through old age and finally into death. What could be more sacred? What could be more beautiful? What could be more tender than that relationship? Yet for so many, this relationship carries the pain of a civil war. When parents and children sin against one another, the pain goes so incredibly deep. In some cases, the rights of parents and the rights of their children have been pitted against one another in homes, in courtrooms, and even in laws. And this is grievous. The beautiful has become a battlefield. Or consider the beautiful reality of our genders, being male or female. Our genders carry with it a beautiful and sacred power and mystery. It takes grace and wisdom and great examples to grow up in our genders. Yet consider how this beautiful space has become a battlefield. Consider the fear and rigidity and anger, either from those who demand a rigid stereotype, a cultural stereotype, and try to force people into that, or for those who reject gender altogether. Disagreements about gender are being extended beyond the academy into the tender and vulnerable places of our society, like preschools and libraries and floral shops. In all these ways and more, the beautiful has become a battlefield. So as we start this series, maybe one of the questions you're asking is, is Father Aaron strapping on the steel-toed boots of war? And is he about to crush the Emmanuel Anglican flower? So I want you to know that I do not come with steel-toed boots. I come with an invitation to become sons and daughters again and enter through Jesus, God's beautiful world again. Because in battle, you and I grow up too fast. That's what happens to children in battle. You grow up too fast. So we've got to become like children again and enter God's beautiful reality. And that's going to involve receiving some gifts from our Father. Our Father has four beautiful gifts for us to receive today. We're going to see from Genesis Now, these are not easy gifts to receive, but they're so good, and they're for our good and for the life of the world. So uh, maybe there's one of the gifts that the Lord's going to be like, you know what, this is the gift that you haven't received yet, and receiving it is going to make the difference in you becoming a son or a daughter again. So I invite you to turn to Genesis 1 in your bulletins or Bibles. And we're going to talk about four beautiful gifts God wants to give his sons and daughters. 
The first gift that the living God offers us is the gift of his image and likeness. The gift of his image and likeness. Genesis 1.26, let's read. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, mankind, men and women, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Our Father has created us to reflect his image and likeness, to bear, to receive and reflect his image and his likeness so that we can extend his rule on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean to have God's image and likeness? One way to understand it is that we look like mom. We look like dad. I used to answer the phone growing up as I was trained. This is back when we still had phones. Um, And I would say, Damiani residence. And the other person on the other end of the line would be like, hey, Lou, good to see you. Can I run a couple things by you? And I'm like, no, 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 this isn't Lou. This is his son, Aaron. Uh, That's what it's like to bear God's image. There's character qualities. There's personal characteristics that we just naturally carry around with us. But it takes a lot of grace to receive God's holiness and God's love and God's purity and Just like it takes a long time and a lot of grace and a lot of messiness to receive the character qualities of our parents, the best character qualities, it takes a long time, and it's really messy, and it's really difficult to to have all of the immature, childish parts of us pruned away and for the glory and the image of God to emerge. It uh, It takes submission to Jesus, becoming his apprentice. It takes submission to the Holy Spirit for God's image and God's likeness to emerge. For us to receive being made in God's image means that we need to go on a journey of personal transformation. That as God reveals things about us that he doesn't want us to carry anymore, that we say yes to that. And when he says, hey, I want you to mature, we say yes to that. We say yes to growing in goodness and maturity and love and holiness. Another side of this is that we need to steward the image of God in each other. That God's image was put on the female persons and the male persons, that male and female were made in his image. So men can't reflect the image of God alone, and women can't reflect the image of God alone. We actually have to exist in community with one another. Americans cannot reflect the image of God alone. Argentinians can't reflect the image of God alone. Neither can Asians or Africans. We need each other. The global family of God reflects the image of God in front of the throne of Jesus in Revelation 19. You have people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. Now listen, if any of you have had the blessing of living in a multicultural space, you know that you really have to work at it. You you really have to to have lots of conversations around, man, I misstepped here because I didn't get the cues that you were bringing. You have to apologize. You have to humble yourself. Same thing is true between, between the genders, between the generations. We have to love and appreciate people who are different from us. And that is a gift. None of us are called to bear the image of God alone. You can't be holy by yourself. If you're holy yet, just join a church. This is a messy process, a messy gift to receive. 
So do you struggle to receive the image and likeness of God? Maybe you're tempted instead to receive a false and puffed up persona, and that's how you feel whole. That's how you feel divine. Or maybe you struggle to recognize the image and likeness of God, of the other gender, of people of a younger generation, people in an older generation, people of other cultures, people of other ethnicities. Have you spoken against or acted against the image of God and other people? Have you written off the image of God and others? In God's beautiful world, become like sons and daughters again, going to mean receiving his image and likeness and recognizing that gift in others. Here's a second gift God wants to offer us, and that is the gift of our bodies, the gift of our bodies. All right, so let's face it. Uh, sometimes we really struggle to receive our bodies as a gift. Sometimes we are tempted to receive our bodies only as a curse. Maybe it's because we don't like our features. We don't like our body's natural capacities and limitations, especially when we compare them with other people. It's especially vulnerable to receive a body as a child and then to have that body be compared or picked apart by your peers. One psychologist says that if someone says something about your body you'll almost never forget it if they speak it to you as a child. Recently, I was in the checkout line of Tony's Finer Foods, purchasing what can only be described as above-average food. <laughs> and I was with some other people purchasing some above-average food. And there we were, shuffling through the checkout line with our bodies, our real, actual bodies with some normal food, you know, some chips and some cereal and some packaged meats and produce, just kind of shuffling through, getting ready to pay. Uh, and there staring at us and shaming us were some finer bodies on the magazine rack, just kind of shaming us, just kind of like, don't you want to live your best life with your best abs? with your best food, people reflecting the 0.001% of the population that reflects our society's definition of beauty. The thing is, they weren't real. But they were, as it were, shaming those of us who were. It reminded me of what Beth Felker Jones said about our culture. The cult of the young body, the veneration of the airbrushed, media-produced body, conceals a hatred of real bodies. So many of us have swallowed that hatred whole. And we don't believe that our bodies are a gift. We believe that they're defective. But in God's beautiful world, they're a gift. Looking at Genesis 127 again. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, think about this. Think about how our bodies allow us to interact with the physical world. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 29, and God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with its seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. 
Now, this is beautiful to me, and I'll tell you why. We alone have the opportunity to extend God's loving rule to everything in the physical world, everything from the orchards to the orchids, and no one else can do that. Consider the the breathtaking responsibility that God is putting into the hands of his people, people with real normal bodies, people with broken bodies, people people who live in the physical world. You know, angels are glorious, but there's a bunch of things angels can't do. I love me some angels. But angels can't rule over the fish of the sea or the birds of the air. They can't solve our um, ecological challenges that we have in our world. You know, what angels cannot pursue, racial reconciliation in Chicago. But you and I could could get out there and make friends of people with other ethnicities than our own and break bread with them this afternoon. Isn't that amazing? Angels, for all their glory and power, can't sit down with a child who has a learning disability and and day after day teach them how to read. But you and I can, thanks to the gift of our bodies. Our bodies are a gift from God that allow us to bond with each other and extend his rule to earth as it is in heaven. Okay, look, our bodies allow us to be life givers. Receiving the gift of our bodies, uh, and this is a tough, tough part, but it implies that we're receiving the maleness or the femaleness that is meaningfully rooted in our biological sex. The male and female genders, according to Genesis 1 and 2 and the story of Scripture, these are not ultimately a, a human social construct. They're certainly influenced, aren't they, by our social environment. God created male and female bodies. He blessed them, and he designed them to reflect his image together. This is not a call to rigid cultural stereotypes or or forcing people into roles that don't fit the nuances of their personality or gifting. Nor is this an attempt to shame people who do not feel at home in their bodies, those who have gender dysphoria, nor is it a call to condemn those in the transgender community whom we are called to love and embrace. This is a call to the people of God who want to be Jesus' apprentices to receive their bodies, including their genders, as a gift from God. There's nothing easy about that for anybody. Some people it's harder than others, but it's not easy for anybody to receive and mature into their genders. It takes an incredible amount of grace. And it takes an incredible amount of love and community and truth. And it still might be a very painful process. If you're struggling to receive your gender, I want you to know you are welcome here and you're loved here. And we will walk with you. In God's beautiful realities, our bodies can be a gift to us and to those around us because he created them, and then he blessed them. He didn't bless our ideas. (laughs) He he didn't bless our best intentions. He blessed our whole persons, bodies included. Becoming a spiritual father or mother begins with receiving the body we have. It starts there. Receiving the body we have is a good gift from God, including our body's gender, size, limits, and capacities to love. There's more my friends, that can and will be said about gender in this series. And 
you probably have some unanswered objections or questions. I hope those can be answered and meaningfully interacted with in the course of time. So, how do we become God's sons and daughters again? Number one, receiving the gift of his, God's image and likeness. Number two, receiving our bodies. Number three, receiving the gift of a mastered appetite. Receiving the gift of a mastered appetite. Genesis 2, uh, verses 15 through 17, say this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is remarkable. God gives human beings a command and a gift that he doesn't give anybody else in all of physical creation. The command to not eat. This is a gift that every parent attempts to give their children. The gift of no. No, you may not lick the trash can. No, you may not order the seven-scoop banana split off the menu. One of the challenges of parenting is teaching your child to master their appetites and impulses. Why? Otherwise, as parents know, otherwise the appetites will consume them. The only way is to master your appetite. God doesn't just give Adam a body. He asks him to become master over his body. He asks him to not eat. And that is going to require massive trust and submission on Adam's part and ours. It's a very difficult gift to receive. Nevertheless, it's a fundamental part of becoming God's sons and daughters again. Do we trust God enough to say no to our appetite? Here's how Bridget Eileen applies this to our sexual appetite. She says this, there's an unpopular reality when it comes to the traditional sexual ethic. It's that 99% of the time that you want to have sex, you don't get to have it, period. Sexual attraction stands unique among our God-given longings because it's a good desire that is nevertheless wrong to fulfill for almost every person who attracts us. Almost every single person that you will ever be sexually attracted to over the span of your entire lifetime, you simply can't have. The answer is no. She continues. The traditional sexual ethic demands a life of radical sexual mortification for everyone. Ultimately, when people encounter sexual attraction, it reveals the orientation of their soul. It tests their willingness to submit to the God of the universe. When put face to face with forbidden desire, the Christian must ask a simple set of questions. Will you take what you want like a beast controlled by its appetite? Or will you turn to the Lord? Now, part of the reason that the beautiful has become a battlefield is that when God has asked us and others to say no, we have chosen to say yes. And along the way, we've become slaves to our appetites or we've become slaves to other, someone else's appetite. A mastered appetite is a truly liberating gift for God's sons and daughters. He wants to give it to us, not because he's a killjoy, but because he wants the glory of God to shine 
so brightly in our lives. The Lord can set us free from addictions to alcohol, sex, food, and anything, sugar, anything else in all of creation. Have you ever talked with someone who's a recovering, freed alcoholic or other kind of addict? And you ask them, what's it like to live now compared to what it was like when you were a slave to your appetite? And they'll light up and they'll tell you their story. Some of the most compelling stories you'll hear are in the recovery groups throughout our culture of people getting free. And we need the grace of God. It's a messy process to master our appetites. There's a lot of grace and a lot of setbacks and a lot of love and truth that's needed. Nevertheless, it's a gift to receive. All right, so the gift of our image and likeness, a gift of the image and likeness of God, the gift of our bodies, and the gift of mastered, ap- of mastered appetites. These are all gifts that God has to give us to help us become his sons and daughters again. But here's the, maybe what's the hardest gift of all for those who really, truly have been scarred in the battle? And I just want to take a moment to say, have you truly been scarred in the battle? You are welcome here and you are loved. And so this one, I, I say this, with as much um, tenderness as I, as I can. Um, because this is the gift of vulnerability. And if you've been scarred, vulnerability is like hell. The gift of vulnerability is a gift for all of us to become God's daughters again, God's sons again. Why do we fight so hard over sex and love and belonging? Why has the beautiful become a battlefield? Well, in many cases, not all cases, in many cases, it's because we or someone else wanted to be loved without being known, and so we just took the love. We wanted community, but we didn't want any cost. We want meaningful relationships apart from meaningful risks, and there's no way to do that. There's no way to have true intimacy without vulnerability. God wants us to have love and community and relationship, and he wanted that for for Adam, but it came at a great cost for Adam. Verse, uh, Genesis 2.20, the man gave names to all livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Uh, But for Adam, there was not a, found a helper fit for him. So, you know, God could have said, all right, um, I'll, I'll, I'll make Eve and you just hang out over there and I'll bring your bride over. Um, but instead, what God did is God actually called Adam to personal sacrifice and vulnerability. Verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. What does Adam have to do to enter into love and community? He must give up control, and so do we. Um, Adam must give up his dreams of what marriage could be or should be. Maybe his hopes and fantasies of a soulmate. He must give up the bachelor life as he knew it. You know, naming the animals on his own terms and picking all the paint colors, anyone he wanted. And he needs to let God put him under the knife. And then there's something precious taken from his flesh, okay? The word rib is a little bit of a mystery. 
maybe Adam was really proud of his six-pack, and the Lord's like, all right, buddy, you go to sleep, and you're losing that. God led Adam into personal vulnerability and self-giving. And then he led him into intimacy that was not possible without the act of sacrifice, without vulnerability. Verse 23, then the man said, this at, at last, at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now here is resurrection, my friends, on the other side of death. This is, this is love on the other end of, of sacrifice. This is joy on the other end of vulnerability. And it's not just for Adam, it's for all of God's sons and daughters. What does it look like for us to receive the gift of vulnerability? It means confessing our sins, not just to God, but to a trusted Christian leader or friend and seeking forgiveness if we sinned against somebody. It means taking the risk of being known and possibly rejected just to get really practical, sometimes it means asking a girl out on a date um, or going on that date, saying yes to that date. Um, it's, it's caring for people who in the end may turn against us and hurt us. It's letting others care for us. Uh, it's facing the messy and broken parts of who we are because those emerge in relationship. You will hit a wall in relationship if you want to enter into joy and intimacy in life, you will hit a wall in your personal character and you will, face, you will face pain and patterns that you need to bring to the Lord. That will be difficult. Your false self, the glittering image, is going to have to come crashing to the ground if you want intimacy. There's nothing easy about it. Yet vulnerability is the path to love. Verse 25, I love how this ends. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So they're just fully known and fully loved. Uh, how in the world could this ever be true for us? After the battlefield, after our own personal Aleppo, where beautiful and personal and sacred realities have become, uh, have become battle zones. Well, it goes without saying, but in every way that we've rejected these gifts, Jesus has received all four of them. Every single one. Jesus received the gift of God's image and likeness, and he recognized it in others. Jesus received the gift of his body, and then he gave his body for the life of the world. He received the gift of a mastered appetite, turning aside bread for every word that comes from the mouth of God. And finally, he received the gift of vulnerability, and he stretched out his arms of love on the hardwood of the cross to bring us close. Blood and water flowed from his side and gave birth to the church, his wife, his bride. Jesus freely offers these gifts again to us when we've rejected them. He says, he says come to me. We, we follow the lead of the children in our gospel reading this morning when we come to Jesus as children who are scarred, who are broken, we come to him for a blessing, and he gives each one of these gifts to us in a way that we can handle right now. Maybe there's one of these gifts that you need Jesus to give to you. One of the ways that we make that possible here at Emmanuel Anglican 
is we have prayer ministers on a Sunday morning during communion. You go up and you just talk about a gift you want to receive, and the prayer minister prays for you to receive that gift. There's nothing magical about it. It's just someone standing next to you asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to, to internalize these gifts in the same places maybe where there's something else that's been internalized, internalized pain, internalized hatred, whatever it might be. Jesus wants to take us into his lap and bless us and make us his own daughters again, make us his own sons again. He says, come, all who are weary from the battle, come into the beauty. Come, all uh, who are heavy laden, come wear my easy yoke, and I will give you rest. Come, orphans, and I will give you the gifts of God, and you will become daughters, and you will become sons once more.